Thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. I'm your host, Shelley Chopra. The series is for healthcare leaders and organizations navigating the journey to value-based care in the ever-changing landscape of our healthcare industry. That could not be more true than the times we're in right now. Our goal in the series is to bring to you disruptive success strategies for healthcare organizations, leveraging our experience and having worked with some of industry's top experts and thought leaders. And before we get into today's episode, I would like to invite you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think about the episode and questions that are top of your mind. With that, I'd like to welcome my co-host, Dan Marino, managing partner at Lumina and an industry thought leader for value-based care. Dan, the coronavirus pandemic, it has certainly exposed challenges in the free-for-service reimbursement environment. And it seems there is a greater emphasis for various healthcare organizations to move into value-based care more now than ever before. And organizations are exploring several strategies that make sense in the current environment, such as more innovative care delivery models, not only for primary care, but even for specialty care delivery. It certainly has had its impact on how organizations position themselves for contract negotiations with payers and all. What are you seeing in this space? If anything, what COVID has done is it really exposed a lot of the challenges that we're seeing in fee-for-service, especially, you know, in the latter part of March and all of April, when the elective procedures decreased, it put a tremendous amount of financial strain on these organizations. If we were reimbursed more in around a more of a, a value-based care structure, I think the financial impact of these organizations certainly would have been less. That is true. And, you know, I know we've been working in the value-based care space for a while. And it's interesting to me that almost like a sense of urgency that the organizations have to really move into that. Folks are taking another look at how they position themselves, how they structure their care delivery models how they engage all their resources, their provider community, their community resources in there too, and really taking another look at it on how to really tailor to the current environment and find their niche in it. Yes, you're right. Historically, the value-based care models have focused on primary care. And, you know, rightfully so, they've been, they're the group that comes in and they manage the, a lot of the chronic diseases of, of patients. They're responsible for kind of guiding where patients go. But when you really look at the impact, the true impact of value-based care, the surgical activities, those high cost type of procedures are significant opportunities to really not only reduce the cost of care, but really improve the outcomes and, and, and really manage the activities of the patients. So we're seeing even more and more focus on a lot of the surgical activities as a mechanism of redesigning those care delivery models, focusing on the reduction of costs and also the improvement of a lot of the, those related clinical outcomes. With that being said, I'm really excited, Shelley, about our guest today. Dr. Zeev Kane is a founder and president of the American College of, of Perioperative Medicine. Dr. Kane is also the chancellor's professor at the University of California, Irvine. Dr. Kane has been recognized in creating these new models in the surgical and perioperative space that is really starting to create some fantastic outcomes. Dr. Kane, welcome to the program. Thank you, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here on this beautiful day. I welcome the opportunity to have a brief discussion with you guys. 
So, Dr. Kane, when we were, when I've done a little bit of research and, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of the work that, that the organization has done, the college has done, fantastic in terms of really pushing through a lot of these, these new models. Spend a little bit of time talking about the American College of, of Perioperative Medicine and some of the unique, innovative things that, that the college has done really under a lot of your direction and, and a lot of your vision. So the college started with the idea that the only way we could move our healthcare, uh, the surgical healthcare forward is if we work as a team and if we really break the silos between all the healthcare providers and all the stages of care that you deliver. And so when we bring people together to a conference, we have about a third of them are physicians, about a third of them are nurses, and about a third of them are executives and consultants and industry. And that's a very unique model, right? Because typically in these conferences, they're very, very segregated. And then we really focus on the entire delivery of the care in the surgical settings. We don't focus on only drugs or only machines or or only techniques or only outcomes. We bring it all together. Well, and I'll tell you, that's so important because we've done a lot of work with hospitals over the years um, within our consulting firm, focusing a lot on the surgical process improvement. And you're right, it's very siloed, but to get providers, nurses, really the, the surgical medical community to come together to think about that, think about it across delivering care, across that whole continuum, I think is really what becomes extremely valuable. It sounds like your organization has really tackled that head on. It did. And, you know, it all started when I was the chief medical officer of UC Irvine Health. And I was also at the same time chair of anesthesiology. And I tried to bring everybody together. And I realized how difficult it is. Lucky enough, because I was also the chief medical officer, I was able to really bring the team together. And then I realized that that really, to me, is the magic solution in, in, uh, in value-based care in improving the performance of your uh, surgical environment. You have to work as a team, and you have to have your eye on the ball. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I want to get into that in, in a second, but um, I think it would also be interesting for our listeners to hear your perspective, you know, clearly as an industry leader. What do you f- see right now as... Um, you know, the impact of COVID, what has been that impact on value-based care? Are are you seeing a a greater push into value-based care? Are you seeing that, you know, folks are still, particularly in the surgical area, still holding on to that fee-for-service contract and level of reimbursement? What are you seeing right now? Well, I think that um, it's a journey. I'm going to start with that. I think that it depends in which area of the country you are. Uh, If you're on the West Coast, uh, where I am right now, uh, thoroughly value-based care is here and everybody's talking about it. When I travel to Texas, not that many people talk about it. Um, The impact of COVID, at least theoretically, has been dramatic and everybody understands the fault of the fee-for-service. But to me, the question is, will they actually change it? And I'm a great believer in in Carter's work, which is uh, talks about the burning platforms at the age stages of change. 
And to me, if there is no burning platform, people don't change. And so I think that the burning platform, the economic burning platform is getting there. Uh, but I think a lot will depend on who is the next president and how much push CMS will do it and how much will the third party payers adopt it. Right. Well, and I'll tell you, a lot of times the best way to create change is by disrupting the model. COVID forced a disruption in the entire model. So I think to your point, that really could create the burning platform for change, especially knowing how the a lot of the surgical specialties were impacted by COVID. We have to be do we, we have to do things differently. We do. And um, certain practices literally vanished. Um, Mednex, for example, had a large division of anesthesiology, and the Mednex is a large uh, multidisciplinary group, um, and they had to sold to sell their entire division um, to uh, Napa, actually, for, I'm going to say, pennies, simply because when surgery stopped and they were entirely based on fee-for-service, they had no cash on their hands. So there is no question that there is an opportunity. Yeah, isn't that amazing? I mean, you talk about a burning platform for change. If your income goes away, there's no bigger burning platform than that. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah. So when we when we look at the impact of surgical practices on value-based care, we've done a tremendous amount of, of research around the risk pyramid, for instance, and that the higher the risk, the more complicated the, the patients, obviously the, the higher the cost. And a lot of times those costs are really occur from a lack of coordination, inefficiency in, in being able to, you know, with tests being ordered and, and really not working together. You know, one of the things I think you've done in the college, you mentioned this earlier, is forcing the, the different areas within that surgical care model to work together. Uh, indeed. And, and the challenge is when you talk about value-based care, it sounds to most people as an economic model, um, at least to the physicians. I think that to the administrator as well. But in fact, we have to remember that value equals outcomes uh, divided by cost. And outcomes can be clinical outcomes, can be patient-centered outcomes, patient experience. And the cost is obviously the, the, the cost of care. And so somehow people always focus in value-based care on the costs. And not always, unfortunately, on the outcomes and how to improve the outcomes uh, because actually, if you improve the outcomes, your value goes up, even if the cost doesn't go down, right? Yep. Um, and, and so I think that's the, that's the challenge. And that's where my main focus of work has been for the past 10 years, which is, okay, how do I move the outcomes to a higher level? Because by that, by the way, the cost will go down. I, I can just tell you that. And by the way, the value will go up. Yeah, I agree with you. And I'll tell you, the successful organizations, the ones that have really achieved a lot of success in value-based care, haven't led with a contract. They've led with new care models, redefining clinical workflow. They've led yep. with integrating process across all of the participants in the care model. And one of the things that was really interesting to me, and I've heard you present on this a couple of times, 
is, is your vision around the, the surgical value-based care models, you know, and you've talked about two of them. Why don't you spend a few minutes talking about those? I think that would be very interesting for our listeners. Thank you, Dan. And so one is a more granular modern than the second one. First one is the enhanced recovery after surgery or ARIS started in Europe more than 15 years ago got adopted in the, US, in the US more widely about five in the last five or seven years. And what it is, in fact, is a combination of 22 clinical guidelines, I'm going to call them. And if you adopt those clinical guidelines, such as carbohydrate load before surgery, such as no benzodiazepines, uh, such as movement after surgery as soon as possible, they have shown dramatic reduction in length of stay and dramatic changes in morbidity. Now, about six years ago, we developed another model, and, and my hospital was, in fact, the first one in the country to adopt it, which is the perioperative surgical home. And, and the difference is that in the perioperative surgical home, we look at the entire picture holistically on an operational, clinical, financial, patient-centered model, right? So the enhanced recovery is purely clinical. The surgical home is really a holistic model. And in that model, you look at the entire episode of care for A to Z, from 90 days before surgery to 90 days after surgery, and you're trying to say, okay, how do I make things optimal? Uh, so in the preoperatively, am I going to do pre-optimization? Uh, am I going to do risk stratification, and I'm going to do prehabilitation, right? So the whole idea is no more cost centers, no more arguments about who will pay for the pre-op testing. Let's think about the outcome. Well, and I think those two models are very interesting, especially as you think about how to engage the surgeons, if you will, and especially creating some consistency and, and focusing on the clinical process and the outcomes. In the enhanced recovery model, you had mentioned that, you know, it's based off of 22 clinical guidelines. How, in your experience, how has that been received by the surgeons? Well, I think it depends on how much of it they adopt. And one of the challenges is that errors became such a popular concept that everybody says, oh, I'm doing errors. But when you ask them, they actually are not doing the 22 behaviors or practices, they do seven, eight, nine, the one they like. And right. then they don't really get good outcomes. So, you know, the key is to adopt the bundle. And when you adopt a bundle, you're talking about reduction of variability. And I know you know that surgeons do not like reduction of variability, neither do anesthesiologists, to be honest with you, as an anesthesiologist. And then you start hearing comments like, well, you know, we are not cookie cutters and you can't tell me how to practice. That is the biggest challenge is how to reduce the variance in the, in the care itself. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, we have found through a lot of the research, and, and frankly, we worked on many projects that is focused on clinical variation reduction. And the concept, nobody will argue with the concept. Intuitively, the concept makes a lot of sense. It's the adoption of the protocols, 
the pathways, identifying sort of the what's in it to the physicians, why they should do this. That's really the key. And once you do that, then I think you get to the point where you really can focus on what those outcomes are. And frankly, in my experience, it's been much easier for the surgeons as they start to adopt this because they have better access to the information and you sort of have a pretty good idea of how this information and all of these activities will support the clinical workflow. You're right. The, the challenge is that generally speaking, surgeons and anesthesiologists don't like to listen to anyone except surgeons and anesthesiologists. Uh, and so the challenge is how to move them in that direction. And so when I implement these models, and I've implemented now in more than 25 hospitals or so, I'm always trying to talk to them as a physician, and I'm trying to bring them into the understanding of why is this important. Um, and I get at least three emails a week that ask me for protocols. Yeah. And I'm always saying the same thing. It's like, hey, I'll send you all the protocols you want in the world. It's not going to help you. Right. Because it's not it, about it's the not... protocol, right? It's about how yep. they incorporate it into the process and yep. really engage with that into the new care model. That's exactly right. And by the way, it has to be their own protocol because I can tell you there are a lot of egos in this space. And if it's not their protocol, it's not good enough. All of the implementations that... Um, you've been able to do and, you know, kind of designing these new care models, um, these new programs in the perioperative space, you know, really run enhanced recovery, perioperative surgical home, which I find fascinating. What have you seen as some of the outcomes, both in terms of uh, the clinical outcomes and maybe the financial outcomes? Well, the outcomes are phenomenal. Um, on the clinical side, we have seen reduction of lengths of stay. We have seen an increase level of um, disposition, home versus skilled nursing facility. And we have seen a reduction in the readmission rate. And that's the holy triad, right? Because you can play with one of the variables in the three, but you can't play with all three of them unless you really improve the process. Um, so that's on the clinical outcome side. On the patient experience side, we have seen better scores by far. Uh, pain experience scores are, are patient experience scores are far better, and so are pain experience scores. On the financial side, that may be the, the most interesting part. We have seen many millions of dollars that, that, have, been, uh, that have been saved. Uh, and, and so when I look at these models, when I look at a particular hospital and they ask me which one of the service lines should they choose, I always tell them, well, it either has to be a service with a large volume, like hips, or a service that is very complex, like cystectomy for urological procedures, right? Because when you have these very huge operations like cystectomies where the patients stay in the hospital 12 days after surgery, even though you don't have a lot of patients, by improving the process itself and the pre-optimization and all that post-operative management, there is a lot of fat to cut. What you don't want to do is, is choose simple, straightforward procedures that are few and far between. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because I think is, you know, is if I was to put on my, my CFO hat, obviously there's, you know, you, you describe the clinical outcomes very well and there's, there's a huge opportunity there, but the financial outcomes are really twofold. You have an opportunity to reduce costs within the organization by streamlining and, and reducing some of that, that clinical variation, which taking cost out is probably the number one issue that a lot of the CFOs are, are working towards. But then taking those outcomes and leveraging that within value-based care contracts is really the opportunity as well. So between the two of them, boy, I, I could see that there could be millions of dollars attached to this. Yeah. And actually, depending on your percent of capacity in the hospital, there is a surge opportunity, which is if your hospital is full at 100% and now you're driving the lengths of stay down, you're obviously increasing the potential for new admissions. And if you are part of the DRG system, at least some of it, then you could bring in new business and that new business pays you even more. So the opportunity days are actually sometimes way more important than just cutting down the cost. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Kane, this has been fantastic. Not only does this align with the direction and the momentum of, of value-based care, but many hospitals right now are struggling financially. Um, they took a big hit financially because of, of COVID. And I would think putting in practice some of these new models, and obviously it doesn't happen overnight, but I think it, it creates a fantastic blueprint to really increase the margins of a lot of these organizations. I could not agree with you more. And uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the concept of a teachable moment. And I'm just hoping that people understand that this is a teachable moment and we now have an opportunity to look at things differently. Well, I think, you know, as you said earlier, you know, we have to start with the burning platform. That's what's going to force the change. And I think that burning platform is here. Um, well, listen, Dr. Kane, this has been fantastic. I'm sure our listeners enjoyed the conversation as, as much as I have. Any closing remarks, any pieces of advice you might want to provide to our listeners? Well, um, if you liked what we said, <laughs> we have a, um, an annual meeting that's coming up, our fifth annual meeting in uh, orthopedic uh, value-based care. Uh, that really focuses on, on the elements that I just described earlier. It's going to be virtual this coming year. It's going to be April 9th through the 11th. Dan, as you know, you're going to be there, along with uh, many luminaries from the fields of medicine and administration. So uh, tune in, and sure you're going to be able to find online the information. So if, if our listeners and other interesting interested individuals might want to get a hold of you or find out a little bit more, um, maybe about the college or, or even the, the conference that you're going to have in April, how can they get a hold of you? Very simple. Email me. I'm very, very responsive. My email is first initial Z, last name Kane. So zkane at acpm.health. And ACPM obviously stands for the American College of Perioperative Medicine. Well, Dr. Kane, I can't thank you enough for spending a little time with us today on this topic. And, you know, one of my passions is, is value-based care. I've helped numerous organizations 
position themselves well. I, I, it's something I, I really believe in as a matter of change for healthcare, and I know you do as well. So thank you again for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Dan, for having me. It was a pleasure, and I'm looking forward to seeing you in April. So Shelly, a couple of things that Dr. Kane brought up, which I think are, are really key to the direction that the industry is going, especially post-COVID. It's putting in these, these new care delivery models, but focusing on surgery. And it's interesting, and one of the points I really enjoyed is the fact that you have to have that burning platform for change. You have to be, you know, physicians have to be bought into why they want to do this and do it for the right reason. You can't lead with economics. You have to really lead with changing the process, changing the model, really focusing on what those outcomes are. Very much so. What's in it for me becomes the center of how you initiate the change. And I also enjoyed Dan, him referencing to this hopefully is a teachable moment. There are a lot of challenges and changes the pandemic has brought our way, but there are also opportunities for growth and change, which is positive in the long run. So I enjoyed him referencing the current state as maybe a teachable moment for our providers and healthcare leaders. Well, Very much enjoyed the conversation. Especially within the surgical and perioperative practices, you know, in value-based mm -hmm. care and in population health, the focus is always on primary care. And mm -hmm. I mean, obviously that's important, but it's equally important to engage perioperative services and the different surgical specialties on the changes in, in the care delivery model. The outcomes, the opportunities, just the, the, the sheer fact of being able to deliver care differently, having incredible positive financial and clinical outcomes, I think is what's exciting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, we want to thank you for listening into Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. We at Lumina are your partners in the journey to value-based care. To learn more about us, visit us on luminahp.com. And if you found value in today's conversation, subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify, and leave us feedback. You can also find additional blogs, thought leadership articles on this topic and more, and also the transcript of our podcast episode at our website, luminahp.com. Join us again next time when we invite several of our colleagues and industry thought leaders in continuing our deep dive and talking about new trends that are emerging as organizations navigate the new normal. Until then, have a great day and stay safe.